Hearst Ranch is a proud sponsor of the Heritage Radio Network. Learn more about Hearst Ranch at HearstRanch.com. Hi, and welcome to Opening Soon on Heritage Radio Network. We are your hosts, Jenny Goodman and Alex McCreary. Opening Soon is a weekly show that will walk you through the steps of opening a restaurant through conversations with some of the world's greatest chefs, restaurateurs, and the vendors that help take their business from just an idea to opening soon. Jenny and I have been in the hospitality business for over 25 years. I've been fortunate enough to be part of opening one restaurant that still stands today and humbled enough to have owned one restaurant named Goods that lasted less than six months. When launching Goods, we failed to create a business plan before jumping in. We didn't bother with a partnership agreement, and we missed some major components of our income statement. Our experience with Goods is a big reason we feel we're the ones that can ask the questions. Basically, we need answers. Aside from our own firsthand experience inside restaurants, including one pretty epic fail, we are currently the founders of Tillit NYC, a hospitality workwear brand that has proudly outfitted over 4,000 restaurants and counting since launching our business in 2012. We are so fortunate to witness many restaurants come to life. Being part of that journey is one of the best parts of our job, and we want to share that feeling and all those lessons that can be learned with all of you. Our goal is that this podcast will help bridge the gap between the teacher and the student, help alleviate some of the risk when you're opening your restaurant, and offer you some lessons that you might have been looking for when building your business plan. So the first 12-episode season will sequentially take you through the steps of your business plan, from choosing your partners to nailing design and to getting those doors actually open. We will be picking the brains of industry leaders, including Chef Missy Robbins, Camilla Marcus, and Steven Satterfield, just to name a few. So if you're in the process of building a business plan, just starting culinary school, improving or expanding in your current business, or just fascinated by what it takes to get the restaurant open, we hope this podcast will entertain, educate, and inspire you on your journey from idea to opening soon. Follow the journey on Heritage Radio and subscribe on iTunes, Stitcher, or anywhere else you get your podcasts. And don't forget to follow us on Instagram at WeAreOpeningSoon and at TillItNYC. I'm Allie Kane. Welcome to In The Sauce, a podcast about building and growing consumer brands. When we launched a line of fresh sauces, I knew we were jumping into something crazy. Haven's Kitchen is a cooking school, cafe, and event space. A product that people buy in grocery stores is an entirely new business, and I had a lot to learn. So in my efforts to get myself educated, I started meeting everyone I know and respect who could advise me on production and distribution, sales and legal, PR, and social media. Then I started having those conversations here as a podcast so that other entrepreneurs can learn from them as well. This is the story of Haven's Kitchen Sauces, but it's also the story of every growing brand because we're all in the sauce. Today, I'm speaking with Anita Shepard, founder and CEO of Anita's Coconut Yogurt, known for a clean label and proprietary probiotic blend with over 300 billion live cultures per serving. Anita's is the OG coconut yogurt and currently sold at over 200 locations throughout the Northeast. I'm a super fan of your yogurt, Anita, and I've followed along your journey mostly on Instagram 
Um, and it looks like there's been some challenges along the way. Um, and I've watched you be honest and transparent. And I think more than anything, I've just admired how much love your consumers have for you. And I'm thrilled you're here today because I do like to talk about the tough stuff, um, just because I think there's a lot that we can all learn from each other. And your honesty and candor and vulnerability are really admirable. So welcome. Thank you. I'm so glad you're here. Me too. I'm so excited to talk to you. Um, so before we get into all of the advice that you're going to give to everybody, I did do a little bit of research. Um, and it, I don't know where you grew up exactly, but I know that you were a science kid with science parents. So tell me about that a little bit. Yes, I grew up in Bethesda, mm -hmm. outside of D.C., which is where the National Institutes of Health is right. based. And both of my parents worked there as research chemists. Cool. So I grew up going to work with them on the weekends or if we had a day off and playing in the lab all day. Were they very, were they like science-y in the way that you would picture science people? Oh, yeah. Like around the dinner table, they would right. talk about articles Microbes. in Science Magazine yeah, right. and things <laughs> that went 100% over my right. head at the time. Did you, as a kid, was it just kind of automatic that you would be a scientist or did you actually genuinely want to sort of get into that field? It was always assumed that right. both of my sis my sister and I would go into right. science and she did. She became a doctor. Right. And um, I, I did have a very big interest in science. I wanted to become an ethnobotanist. Mm -hmm. And I actually went all the way through my undergrad. I majored in biology, and I was going to go on to study ethnobotany at Florida International University. So what's the difference between botany mm -hmm. and ethnobotany? Ethnobotany is the study of plant-human relationships. Oh, my gosh. That's amazing. <laughs> so anything... To do oh. with humans and plants. So that includes right. medicine, that includes food. That's that so includes cool. Plant like talking materials. to my you know, we're plant. We're sitting right now surrounded <laughs> by this whole structure made of wood. Yeah. So that's one form of. Oh, that a, just like a, made my this heart is a plant happy. human relationship. Yes. <laughs> you are having a plant human relationship right Big now. Big time. That's so cool. Okay. And so that sounds like something I could actually, that doesn't sound boring at all. I, I was fascinated. Right. That sounds fascinating. It. Yes. And then. Did something happen that got you into cooking? Yes. Um, I, although I was very enthusiastic, I was not necessarily a good student. Mm -hmm. I, <laughs> my grades were all over the place. I, I was never really consistent in my, right. in my performance as a student. So I also was easily distracted. Mm -hmm. um, so I was studying for my GREs to get in to the program. I already had gotten into the program, but I had to, you yeah, know, get pass that score. my GRE. Yep. And I did really, really well on the language part mm -hmm. and horrible on the math. And yeah. I remember, I think I was working as a receptionist at an architecture firm and like on my lunch break, I would go meet a tutor at Starbucks yeah. and he would just drone on and on and on about, you know, yep. these equations. And in the back of my head, I was, I wasn't even there, there, yeah. present in the moment. So I've had that feeling myself yes. with Excel. Yeah, and <laughs> I think I think I would have gone through and tried again, uh -huh. but I remember going on a tour of the laboratory there, 
And I was really happy because it was like 80% women. Yeah. But then uh, on the lab tour, I looked around and they were all looked like such interesting people, but they were all working individually. Yeah. And you're working with materials. You're not so much working yeah. with other people. And right. that kind of scared me. Yeah. Because I understand. I wanted to be around people. Yeah. And so what was the pivot to, because you became a chef before you started yes. playing with yogurt. Yes. So while I was working those dull office jobs, just making money to pay rent, mm-hmm. my escape was to host dinner parties, yep. cater dinner parties for friends. Gosh, food people are like, we walk around and I mean, we should have some sort of light on top of our head that like flashes for other food people. You know what I mean? Because everyone I talk to who's a food person, this, it's, it's literally all comes from this place of like mm-hmm. wanting to connect, yes, wanting to nurture people, wanting to nurture ourselves and wanting attention a little bit, <laughs> probably, you know, it's funny. I actually thought about this because, because I have all these kids and it occurred to me at some point when I was kind of like resenting my whole situation for a moment and being like, no one thanks me. No one gives me it. It, you know, this is hard work. And, and I was thinking, do I do this to get, to get people to say, you know, thanks for cooking for me or do I do it for like the praise? Mm -hmm. And I think that there've been times in my life where I was definitely cooking because I was seeking something or like I needed something. Yeah. Um, but I think also the flip side is that most of us do it just because we, we thrive on that feeling when someone is just digging what we put down, you know? And I think on some level, when we hit it just right, there's no better, like there's just no better feeling, you know? And in the beginning, nobody gets rich off of a food career right? in the beginning. So that's your salary. Well, you have to know that, right? (laughs) That appreciation and that feedback. Yeah. You know, you might be broke for years right. as a chef or um, any kind of food entrepreneur, but to have that constant feedback of people just like Loving falling over stuff. themselves yep. for what you make yep. is the it's a high that's the paycheck. So you did you go? You didn't go to culinary school no. though. You just started having dinner parties, and then right. what so happened the next? first uh, actual time I got paid to make food was my boyfriend who is now my husband. Mm -hmm. He came home one day and said, Hey, my friend, uh, works at the cafe down the street. They've been looking for a new, uh, person to do their baked goods. Ah. So I would stay up all night baking muffins and pies and whatever they asked me for. And then in the morning I would walk it over. (laughs) I would have, uh, you know, tea and a muffin with the barista, and then I would go home and crash. Right. Oh my gosh. And so, and then yes. that worked. Well, I was working full time, doing that part time, and um, it just kind of started there. And then it became a smorgasburg. Mm-hmm. I was working in restaurants. The first chef that I worked for was Piche Ong, mm-hmm. and he is. Amazing. And he's the reason I started getting into yogurt in the first place. Interesting. Cool. And then vegan was just a part of it early on or when did it? Yes. Yeah. So the, that first cafe that I worked for, they requested, can you make half vegan, half standard? Right. And pretty much everywhere I worked, except for like the fine dining. Right. 
that was always the case was make something vegan. And to me, that was more fun. Mm -hmm. It was just something new. I loved the challenge and I loved the ingredients. And eventually myself working in restaurants, becoming super unhealthy Mm -hmm. as one does. Yep. uh, It just started to backfire on me. And again, it was my partner's idea. He said, you should do something because all you do is complain about feeling awful. Right. (laughs) So, um, I decided to try eating vegan food for two weeks. And at the end of the two weeks, I actually felt really, really more awful, but it felt like my body was detoxing. Like transitioning. Yeah. So I stuck with it for another two weeks and those additional two weeks became the rest of my life because wow. I just felt amazing and really That's never awesome. looked back. And then what got you, um, because I, I'm picturing you, for some reason I know you didn't wear a lab coat, but <laughs> I don't know, in my mind's eye, I'm picturing you with like all, like a hundred different like things of of cultures and coconut yogurt in a lab coat, which I know again, but this is my image and like you're playing with this one and playing with that one and trying to kind of perfect it. And everyone's saying, this is not possible. There is no such thing. You don't have, you know, I don't really understand the dynamics between like coconut and dairy, but I'm assuming there's something to do with fat or protein. Right. Um, and so, were you, did you just become obsessed pretty quickly when you started? I mean, did you say, okay, I'm going to try to make this thing or did it happen? Cause you couldn't find the right one or. Yeah. I searched high and low through health food stores and organic food stores and specialty shops mm-hmm. to find non-dairy yogurt. And at the time, and this is 2011. Yeah. Yep. Around that time. So, you're really good at doing research. I really like research. <laughs> you know it better than I do. So, <laughs> Thank you, Anita. <laughs> good job. Thanks. So there was like um, the really processed kind that had over 20 ingredients in yeah. it. And, and fillers and bonding yes. agents and emulsifiers and gelatinizers and <laughs> etc. Yeah. yeah. And there was like maybe one brand of like health supplement type uh, product Mm -hmm. where it didn't taste good, it didn't look good, but it was just supposed to give you the health benefits. The probiotics, right. And there were kits that you could buy to make it yourself. And so one of the chefs that I was working with had one of those kits and said, I know you've been looking, why don't you try this? Mm -hmm. And from day one, it was an obsession. Right. Even though it didn't come out perfectly, it was always like one step further to make it better and like, oh, well, what if I change this temperature? What if I tried doing it for this amount of time? No, that's what, I mean, this is so much fun getting to interview people like this because you wouldn't have done that if you hadn't had science-y parents and a science background. You just wouldn't because you wouldn't think about sort of that whole scientific you know, let's take one variable and switch it or let's take another, you know, that's just a completely, that's like a way of thinking that you learned and you kind of just, you know, were indoctrinated with, I guess, very early. So you shout out to mom and dad. Thank you very much. Thank you very much. Um, and so did you, you know, I guess my question is like, were you like, aha, like Dr. Doolittle, like I've got it, you know, or when did you know that this 
was a viable business. When did you, you know, when did that, did you, I mean, I know you went to Cornell to like learn something. When was that in this whole thing? Right. Right. So I did hit a few walls in the product development. And I said, these are things I can't live with that I need to fix. Right. And I did the culture dairy program at Cornell and you I, did a lot of programs, lady. <laughs> I, I mean, I, one thing founders, if you want just someone like I got an email the other day saying so-and-so has a good idea for a business. Do you know anyone who can help her write her business plan? And I wrote back and this was a little harsh, perhaps so-and-so should not be starting a business if she can't write her own business plan. And it might not have been like the nicest thing to say, but I think part of the problem is if you outsource something like that, that's not to say that you, you might not know how to build a financial model. I'm not saying you have to learn everything, but you do have to know your own business really well. And if you're starting off asking someone else to write your plan for you, I don't think it's a good sign. So you know, you're the opposite. I mean, I, you've taken every class you've learned every type of, you know, from modeling to marketing to the science behind your product, you've learned and researched and dug in and educated yourself. And that to me just bodes incredibly well. There are just so many people out there starting stuff and they don't know the, the stuff behind what they're starting, you know, and that makes me a little nervous for them. So kudos to you. Sorry to Thank interrupt. You. Go back to Cornell. <laughs> We're just going to, I so do much. this. I'm just going to ask you a question, interrupt you, and then like, let you fine. answer eventually. Yeah. So the, the program, it was funny because I walked in and I felt like I had antennas, mm-hmm. like a Martian. Yeah. Because... I don't think anyone had ever taken the course who didn't make a dairy product. Yes. And everyone else there was from the dairy world. Yep. And so I I tried to get over that. And I actually learned a ton. Yeah. And I think that was the secret to having a first-to-market product Mm -hmm. was getting past the established way of, like, you can go down this road and do it the dairy way, or you can go down this road and do it the processed way. Right. And kind of look for something in the middle and bushwhack your way through yep. it. Yep. That's, so that kind of feels to me like entrepreneurship in general, exactly. right? Like everyone's yes. going to tell you what you can't do. Right. You just have to figure out what you can do. Exactly. All right. We're going to take a little break. And right. then when we get back, we're going to hear how you basically got there to market and blew up like big time groovy. And then what happened after? We'll be right back. Hearst Ranch is a proud sponsor of the Heritage Radio Network. The Hearst family has been raising cattle on the rich, sustainable native grasslands of California's Central Coast for over 150 years. Piedra Blanca Rancho in San Simeon is the original Hearst Ranch, founded by George Hearst in 1865. George's son was the famous publisher, William Randolph Hearst. In addition to being known for building the iconic Hearst Castle, William was, like his father before him, an avid rancher. In his words, I would rather spend a month at the ranch than any place in the world. 
thanks to one of the largest land conservation easements in California history, a joint effort with the California Rangeland Trust, the American Land Conservancy, and the state of California, the working landscape at Hearst Ranch will be preserved forever. Learn more about Hearst Ranch at HearstRanch.com. Hi, I'm back with Anita from Anita's Coconut Yogurt. Um, okay, so I want to know after you, so Cornell got you to the place where you had the formula. Yes? It got me to the place where I had new tricks in my bag. Okay, awesome. And then you, when did you, when were you like, okay, this is something that I can sell to other people? And that's exactly it. There wasn't an aha moment where the clouds parted and the angels descended Mm -hmm. and this is the yogurt and it's the same yogurt that you find in the stores today. It really was just the point where between working full-time jobs and, you know, having life happen that I said, this is good enough. Yeah, good enough to, to, to actually put in a store. start my life, right. Yeah. So that's when I went out and started pushing it to local shops. You know, you're not the first person who's come on here and said that the goal isn't perfect. The goal is get, get a, a viable product. A, obviously, that you know is safe that you know is right like that's that's pretty important you know that you that you can get out there because it will iterate um you know i think part of the um one of the caveats i always sort of give to people is that just remember that it unlike tech it's expensive you know, not to say that tech isn't expensive, but the tech Let's model. Let's just tech for the next. By the thing. way, no, all kidding. I do is just tech. It's, it's, I'm like analog is so the new digital. Like that's my whole mantra. But I feel like their whole thing is like just keep iterating and eventually you'll hit it. And, you know, with something that isn't a physical thing that comes from the ground that takes a ton of human labor, that's kind of easy. It's hard to iterate with even with us. Like every time we change an ingredient, that means we have to change the label that means we have to put in a new purchase order, which takes us 12 weeks. You know, it's like it's sloggy with food, you know. So but I like I like the I like the advice that get something that's like good. It's good enough and get it to a couple people because the feedback that you're going to get from those initial customers is going to be really good. So that's what you did. And who, who was it stores? Was it was it a retail product? Was it a food service product? Was it both? It was a retail product, and my first customer was Omar at Brooklyn Fair uh-huh. <laughs> on, on Shemmerhorn. And I will never forget this. I had gone in there to try to reach him a couple times and was never able to find him or meet mm-hmm. him. And finally, you know, he said, I'm going to give it a shot. And we were standing in the middle of the store, and I remember he opened the freezer door and stuck it in with the ice cream. He's uh, like, I think it's going to look good there. And I said, right. oh, yeah, it's not, it's ice not ice cream. <laughs> yeah. It's yogurt. Right. You know, just like, and I'm trying to explain to him what it is. And he was looking at me like, oh no, I already said yes. Yes. That's so great. <laughs> you know, we talk about that so much in here because yeah. our sauce, like mm-hmm. there's no, 
there's no clear buyer. Right. Right. We don't know if we're dairy, if we're deli, or if we're produce. And it right. really depends on the store because those are the three refrigerated mm-hmm. buyers. And sometimes it's a very clear winner and sometimes it's not. In your case, at least it was like yogurt, quote unquote. Well, so he kind of could have <laughs> figured that out. But well, was it so hard once to convince we cleared them? that up, yeah. we actually went back to the yogurt case. And if you scroll all the way down to the very first picture on my Instagram, it is my product on the shelf, my first shelf at Brooklyn Fair. And it's between sheep's milk yogurt Uh and like 99 cent almond dream yogurt, which I don't even know exists anymore. I'm not sure. Yeah. So that was the category. Yeah, that was the set. Is things that were not defined. There was the one or two non-dairy and then there was the weird yogurts, so sheep's milk, goat's milk, and I was like, "Well, this is weird." Let's so you just were in the there. weird dairy set, mm-hmm, yeah, that's right. or dairy slash non dairy, mm-hmm. um, yeah. And that that was kind of another question that I had, you know, convincing buyers yeah. that this, you know, first of all, your price point is is high, yeah, um, you know, it's, not anymore, right? <laughs> and you know, I mean. I think consumers now understand value in a way that they didn't maybe in 2013. Um, yeah. I mean, I, it's funny because there are competitors out there, other yogurts that now cost twice which what mine cost, which very confusing. It blows my mind yeah. because in those early days, I, I had to pull teeth to get people right. to at least give it a try. That was my question about the buyers yes. because we do also spend a lot of time I spend a lot of time on this podcast talking about the difference between your consumer and your customer. And if you're a fresh refrigerated product, you better get really comfortable with buyers because they are the gatekeepers. If you're not selling a product direct to consumer, um, you've got to figure out how to get these buyers on your side. And if it means buying ads in their circulars that no one's ever going to read, then you do it. You know, like we talk a lot about that. But convincing them to take you um, how did you convince them to take you? Like, what was, was it, did you come at it from like, this will be good for your margins? Did you come at it from, um, consumers are starting to really turn to non-dairy options? Like, how did you get, did you say I'll promo a lot? Like, how did you get them to, to take you? (laughs) So my strategy was to say, here's your first order. I'll bring you the invoice. If it doesn't sell, you will get a credit on your next order. And I basically was banking on the fact that they would misunderstand me and think that they would get their money back. Oh, that's great. Oh, that but, was very But sneaky. I was basically saying, when you order again, right. yes. you'll get that So it's like case. a free fill. And right. I, but me knowing with certainty that the product would sell. Yeah, and how Because did I didn't have know? the money to do that. Right. I was just in the back of my head saying, I know this will sell. This guy's going out on his lunch break and drinking Pepsi. This is not, He's I'm not going to sit here and pull my hair out trying to convince him that the right. product is worthy. He, it could, to this particular person, it doesn't make a difference. Because in right. the early days, yeah. that's how it was. Yeah, for sure. I mean, a so dairy buyer it, in 2013. It was just a cash transaction, so I had to make it right. seem like a value cash. And wise. then clearly that did happen. Were you? Oh wait, sorry. Yeah. No, no offense to Omar. Omar has much better taste. Omar than understood. Pepsi on his. <laughs> Omar understood. He got Thank it. You, Omar. So yes. your parents and Omar right now are like the winners of the podcast. Yes. So um, and then okay, so you're like I'm sure like people will buy it. 
And I mean, Instagram was around. Was it Instagram that got them to know where? I mean, how did you even tell people where to go? You know, and how did you know that there would be all that love? And did you do like a big push with your friends? Like what? How did you get it to fly off the shelf immediately? I was not good at Instagram in the early days. So no, it wasn't Instagram. I think that really it was just people curious about what what is this thing that Mm -hmm. I've never seen before and why is it here randomly? So I wasn't making a lot of product. Um, To be honest and blunt, I was still making it at home, which is illegal. Right. And That's if okay, you're, you're not anymore. <laughs> <laughs> if you're going to start something small without funding, um, my philosophy was I'm going to break the rules. So right. <laughs> that is how I started in the beginning is I started making it at home because otherwise I just wouldn't have had the funding. Yeah. And I had enough room in my fridge for five cases of yogurt. Right. And I remember I got a sixth store. And when I got that sixth store and I couldn't fit it in my fridge. Right. And also it was when the weather turned and I couldn't use my car uh-huh. as my refrigerated vehicle. Yes. That's when I had to go get a kitchen and get a delivery service. Yes. Um, my first distributor was <laughs> in Kombucha quotes. Brooklyn. Right. So they, I would piggyback off of their orders. Right. Um, I, when we first met, uh, John Lawson from Whole Foods and he was like so how are you you know because I guess we got like 14 stores in New York City and he was like so how are you distributing I'm like well I mean like cooler and he was like come again like cooler like we have a cooler and we can put them in the cool he's like you can't you can't distribute to Whole Foods in a cooler like you just you can't do that so we actually had to get a distributor pretty early which which was fine. I mean, what year was that? That was 2017. I mean, it was not. It was not long ago. Um, and you know, people do, but we just. I I didn't have the stomach for it. You know, you got to be. It's you have to have a gut of steel in some of these cases for some of this stuff. Yeah. Okay, so um, I want to go back a little bit to. You learned how to write a business plan. You learned about bookkeeping. You learned about marketing. You basically took advantage of all of the, you were a Tory Burch Foundation uh, cohort member. Um, do you think that all of, ha, would, you, would you advise founders to reach out to women-owned business councils? All of the things that it seems like you got a lot of resources um, you sought out those resources and you extracted everything you could from them. What would be your advice to people about all of those? Because some of them really feel like a lot of work and I don't know how much you actually get out, but it sounds like you did get out a lot. So can you talk about those things a little bit? Sure. I think I would be lying if I said I like completed all of those courses or, you know, went all the way through to the end I think you get what you need yep. and then it's like know, an internship. Right. Yeah. <laughs> you, you know, you express your gratitude, but, um, if something seems like it's going to be redundant for you right. 
or that it's not going to apply in your case. Like you kind of just have to move on and, and look for other things. But yep. you just kind of like look for what's out there, get what you need and, and get started and keep moving is the most important thing. Right. Is someone could go 24 hours a day, seven days a week learning, gathering, preparing. And not doing anything. And not just jump in. There's a yep. point where you have to cut yourself off and really you just have to jump in and it's like school of life. Are any You're going to learn those... more from that than from any course. Yeah, for sure. I know I keep saying I'd love to go back to business school and people are like, why? You're learning everything you need to right now. Exactly. Are there any of those resources that you think were particularly helpful or useful that you would recommend to people out there listening? So for in, in particular for businesses based in Brooklyn, mm-hmm. I there's an organization that has been renamed twice. It's now called Evergreen. And I'm a part of their peer advisory group. It's a cohort of food businesses that meet once a month and we workshop our issues. Oh, that's great. We have presenters come and talk about, like our last presenter was about business etiquette. Oh. I know how to scoop my soup in the right direction now. Nice. (laughs) Yeah. Moving up in the world. (laughs) I could tell that about you. Yes. I walked in holding my head high because I scooped my soup in the right direction yesterday. (laughs) So they cover, as you can see, like every topic. Right. And it's just great to have that community. So from day one, that's something I've not been able to live without. Right. Evergreen. So I'm really lucky being here in Brooklyn to have resources like that. That doesn't exist everywhere. And I know your listeners are everywhere. So I feel like the more local you can go, the more you can like have that human connection to meet with people in person and have a face-to-face conversation. Because like, for example, a course on on writing a business plan, on mm-hmm. getting your financials. If I couldn't raise my hand every five minutes and say, right. could you explain that again? Yep. Or I what does that, that mean? Yep. I wouldn't have even tried because yeah. most of that stuff literally goes right over my head. So that's, I mean, amazing advice. Go seek out. Everyone has, you know, stuff like this in their community. I do think, funnily enough, that some people don't do those programs because they think that their idea is so unique and unicorny that if they go to those things and open up about what they're doing, that somehow or another someone's going to steal it. And I always tell people, like, nope. That's not that's not going to happen. You could have another coconut yogurt female sitting right next to you in the same class hearing the same stuff, and you're going to come up with something different. So I, I think that people get a little nervous about being, A, I think being vulnerable and admitting that they don't understand exactly and feeling like they're ahead of their skis and like, uh-oh, I got to self-protect a little bit. But I think also they're worried about competition, which I, I really just tell everyone I meet, like, don't worry. You, if you've got something great, it'll just shine through. Yeah. And actually, you want there to be other people in the market with you because it's only good for you, which leads me, it's a good segue to the market. Because when you started in 2013, um, there wasn't much going on by the way of non-dairy yogurt. And fast forward 2019, and I think uh, 65% of Americans have decided that they're lactose intolerant, whether or not they are. And vegan is, you know, crushing it. And there are some other players now on the field. Um, And I'm curious about how you feel about all of that. Asset liability, both why, 
Yeah. Yeah, that's my question. <laughs> so if we're going to, I love your ski analogy yeah. that you just used. I'm kind of like cross-country skiing. Right. And there's <laughs> other companies that started way after me that are like downhill. Who probably got a ton of venture money. Yes. And, they're right. whizzing past me. And if I turn my head to look at them whizzing past me, I'm going to fall down yep. the mountain. <laughs> yep. So really, it's just about like my little cross-country ski venture, enjoying the view, mm-hmm. you know, staying on my path that makes sense for me, no matter what speed people around me are moving or yep. which direction they're going. There's a lot also. I mean, I've seen, you know, in the past couple of years, I think there has been a lot of money kind of put towards things that, yes. By the way, I'm not a cost country scare. Right. <laughs> that might be a bad analogy. I actually had like a terrifying experience cross country skiing and I've been mocked about it for a long time. So okay. it's a little trigger for me, but it's Sorry. a good analogy nonetheless. But I do feel like there are, you know, we will pass things and they have like ridiculous end caps or they just have like a ton of marketing and we're like, wait. How, what like how did they launch nationally in Whole Foods and they don't they haven't built up there is something to be said for building up this really strong loyal base I still have to believe that that core and then more strategy is what wins in the end it's kind of slow and steady wins the race um, but that that being said it does get expensive to grow that way and when there is this market that kind of happened overnight and there's a lot more competition in it, I get that you want to cross country ski while everyone's whizzing. But my assumption is, is that when you had your sort of like, you were like crushing it in like 2016, 2017, um, and you had a, probably a lot of opportunities to accept venture money. And I gather that you didn't. Is there a part of you that's thinking about that now just to get, just to get on a level playing field to some extent with those whizzing by. Yeah. I think in terms of um, what is the right and the wrong way, I don't know that. I think I haven't been doing this long enough to have the answer. And for me, it has been a learning experience. And what I've come out with so far from that is what feels right for you. Right. As a person. And I have learned so much about myself. Yep from that process, Mm -hmm. what I'm comfortable with, what I need in order to be able to run a business. And if you had asked me when I started my business, do you want funding? Mm -hmm. Do you want business partners? My husband used to say this to me all the time. You used to like, right in the beginning, say you were going to, you know, you Mm -hmm. were going to get investors and this and that. And the way the business evolved, that did not really become what worked for me in my business. I, around that time, was approached by um, different venture capital groups, and some of them were incredible people. Yeah. And really awe-inspiring and had a lot of the tools to make my business a huge success. Yep. And And so that was, just to back up a little, mm -hmm. you started in 2013. You were building, building, building. You moved out of your house, obviously, no, you can't. You can't. Oh, oh, yeah. You the were business producing. Definitely. Yes. Yeah. <laughs> I was like, wait, you were producing in your house and you got to a million dollars. Yeah, in we're sales? still there now. That's awesome. <laughs> Great. No one from the FDA listens to this, so that's fine. 
So you, so you got, I mean, you got to a million in sales plus, right? Yeah. Which is pretty crazy. And that's when I'm sure people were like, ooh, this is interesting. Right. And first to market. And, you know, venture capital does have a way of bringing down the cost of production and making distribution easier and paving the way in a lot of great ways and giving you a little breathing room so that you can do some good marketing. There are really good reasons to bring in outside money. Um, but you basically decided not to around that time. Was that at the same time that you decided to move, you kind of hit capacity in the, in the production facility that you're in and you decided it was time to move to a co-manufacturer or? No, no. the, the whole, um, like flirtation with venture capital happened before we got to that point where we hit the production wall. Right. And then I started looking into co-packing options around, um, like, towards the end of 2017. And needless to say, if you look at your Instagram, that hasn't been a particularly uh, successful transition. You haven't found a co-packer that you like. No, we had to end that whole chapter. And so you're back to producing in the facility that you were producing in that's correct you never stopped producing in there so we're back we're back in brooklyn right we're back to our own facility we just expanded that facility okay and we're going to be back to self-manufacturing and i know that again from looking at instagram you know again it's amazing you know your your candor with the people that love you is so it's really all anyone wants. They want, they really love you and they want your yogurt and they're willing to stick with you. I mean, there was one post I read where you said, you know, the texture is completely not what it should be. And some people were like, that's okay. It's, it's great. I don't mind. I like it like this. And you know, you're like, thank you, but you can also get it, you know, refunded. And they're like, no, this is amazing. Like people yeah, really had a yeah. celebrity chef basically say, I love it, this texture. Send all the extras to me. And I was just like, he's cool with it, but... Right, right. <laughs> so, no, I, it's, it's funny. So, the the, so now, where are you now? You're, are you producing at the amount that you were before, or are you slowly building back up? Have you lost accounts in stores because of it? Like, where what happened? So we're back to where we were when we left off. It's, it's really kind of bizarre and crazy, but when we stopped production in Brooklyn, um, we were at the same volume that we're at now. And when we started manufacturing in Brooklyn, it was months ago. We couldn't right off the bat get there because through the whole like in and out of co-packing thing, we've changed suppliers. Right. We've kind of changed our steps around. It's not the same product that it was before and right. I wouldn't have it any other way. Yeah. I don't want to go backwards. No. So And you've learned a lot, sure. I'm I'm sure about like <laughs> more than I control wanted to learn, and yes. quality assurance and oh, yeah. steps and systems and so yeah. so we are we worked our way back, but we're now thankfully back to the volume that we were at um right when we stopped the Brooklyn production. And, and how does that break down in terms of your that you have your like Anita's original sixteen ounce? Mm-hmm. What percentage of volume is that? Um that's a really good question. Um 
I wasn't prepared to answer okay. anything numbers based. <laughs> I mean, in your in your brain, is it like it's most That's of the it, problem or is my it brain. not that much? So um, I'm really bad with with numbers. So <laughs> I would say this is why I didn't go into science. So, <laughs> Is it the so, majority of what you make? Um, no, I would say that we're probably percentage-wise. Traditionally, we were like 60, 30 between retail and food service. And then the other 10 was just 60 and 30. <laughs> oh, let's just stop talking numbers. But um, now the large so is funny. the majority, but yes, it's, got it's it. less than 50%. Got it. Yeah, yes. Among understood. the SKUs. And are you going to be introducing flavors again or are you taking yes. your time with that? So our first production run of the fruit flavors is sitting in the walk and waiting to be picked up awesome. today. Awesome. That's exciting. It's so exciting. And I'm then, so happy. I can't wait to give one to my daughter yeah. every week. She said, when can I have mango yogurt? Right. And so oh. I wanna, I'm going to Instagram at the moment I hand Amazing. her the, the mango And the yogurt. buyers have been understanding about the issues mostly or not yeah. so much? You know, um, I think one of the things that makes it easier, I have made every mistake in the book. Yeah. I am super flawed. And one of the things that makes that easier was learning that it's business Mm -hmm. at the end of the day it's a cash transaction and taking the emotion out of it I've let a lot of people down I've disappointed a lot of people you know that includes the buyers the customers and I guess that's the luxury I have in dealing with the buyers is it is a business transaction so if I can take my emotions Mm -hmm. out of it at the end of the day, we're both going to make money. Yeah. So that makes it easier because I remember the first time I messed up. I want to say another word, but I messed up. You can say it on this, <laughs> on this show, but um, that's fine. I thought I'm going to lose all Everything. of my business. Yep. I'm going to lose all of my customers. And I was so shocked Yeah. when pretty much everyone came back. I, I think if you're <laughs> honest, as you have been, and I think if you cop to it, like you have. Well, and more importantly, if you have a good product and that if they people want love your to product, sell yeah. and that they they're will willing make to money forgive. off of, yep. that's all it is at the end of the day yep. is they're going to get paid. And granted, um, I've had people express to me their frustration with lost revenue. Yeah. You know, that space on the shelf is rent. Yeah. If you're not paying that rent, they have to pay the yep. rent. So, you know, yeah. there, there's a loss there for the retailers. So... I have to, of course, express gratitude to all the customers because yep. they suffered losses as a result of not yep. having the product on the shelf. And at the end of the day, I don't have a huge marketing right. no. uh, budget. So I, I really have to rely on like the product has to be good yep. and it has to sell because that's how I get my spot back yeah. on the shelf. Makes sense. Besides going in there and talking to the buyer right. and him allowing me to physically squeeze things together yes. to make a slot for my product. Yeah. You know, no, it's I like know. once you're off the shelf, it's really hard to get really back tough on. to get your spot back. Yes, that is true. Okay. I hate to wrap it up because I had other things I wanted to ask. Me too. But <laughs> um, what do you wish you had known at the beginning? Like if you're listening to this podcast and you're you five years ago, what do you want someone to tell you? I think there's so many things, but one of them is that thing that I just said, is that at the end of the day, it's business. Mm -hmm. And I'm a super emotional person, Mm -hmm. like super high highs, super low lows. And at the end of the day, 
when it is just business, it makes it a lot easier to get through the day. I because think I'm going to take that advice. Yes. That will help me a lot. Because personally. when if you go through it, some of the people that you have to deal with in this business will talk to you very disrespectfully. Mm-hmm. And I hate to say it, especially as a woman. Yeah, for sure. And if you take it personally every time. Or if you're trying to prove them wrong exactly. all the time. It's just it, freaking exhausting. It's just you won't be able to sleep at yeah. night. So you have to kind of have that ceiling to where you hit, where you don't get super duper duper excited about good news. Yeah. And that floor that you hit where you don't get super, super down about yeah. that email someone sent right. you that makes you want to jump off a bridge. Or get into bed and cry for three days, <laughs> which has happened to me. <laughs> yes. So I love that advice. Okay. That's a really good tidbit. We could all take it. And then what, if you can, I'm sure there've been a lot, but can you think of one particular moment in this whole journey where you've had like a angels singing, bright eyed, wow, I am really happy. And this is really awesome moment. Yeah. I would say the key is to have that happen every day. (laughs) Yeah. But we're not supposed to have the highs be too high. But they're little highs. Right. You know, like I think one example I would give is I remember there was one day that a part went missing on the machine (laughs) and I ran. I just, I was like, just, you know, you guys like clean up. I'll be right back. And I ran down the street to the art store and I just searched around the art store. (laughs) Right. And found something that we could like cut and put in the machine. Like MacGyver in it. Yeah. And it worked. Awesome. And it got us through the shift. And I just remember thinking, this is like, this is it. Small victories. (laughs) Yeah. So it's little moments like that where it seems like a normal person would give up and be like, this is insane. Right. And you just kind of like find a way to keep going like a maniac. Yeah. Even if it's like, doesn't make any sense. Yeah. And, um, and to be able to, at the end of the day, say like, okay, now we can go to like the next step or the next level. Yeah. All of those, um, little moments. Awesome. Anita, thank you so much for coming. This was so great. And I can't wait to see you back on all the shelves and I will be hounding you about food service. Um, Matt, thank you for being the most fantabulous engineer. And, um, we have a bunch of episodes coming up. I had like a two week hiatus, but we've got like eight in a row at least, um, of in the sauce coming at you. So thanks for listening. And obviously you can always DM at Haven's Kitchen any questions that you have or things you want me to address or guests that you'd like me to have on. And do look for Anita's Yogurt. And on Instagram, it's Anita's Yogurt. (laughs) Thanks for listening. Thanks for listening to Heritage Radio Network, food radio supported by you. For our freshest content and to learn more about our 10-year anniversary celebration happening all year long, subscribe to our newsletter. Enter your email at the bottom of our website, heritageradionetwork.org. Connect with us on Instagram and Twitter at heritage underscore radio. You can also find us at facebook.com heritage radio network. Heritage Radio Network is a nonprofit organization driving conversations to make the world a better, fairer, and more delicious place. And we couldn't do it without support from listeners like you. Want to be part of the world's most innovative community? Subscribe to the shows you like, tell your friends, and please 
Join the HRN family and become a member. Thanks for listening.